trails of troubles, rows of battles, hands of victory, we shall walk. You just tuned in to She Walks with Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock, and we're so glad that you're with us today. We've been talking over the last couple of weeks about why intersectional feminist lens for our show. And then we've been talking about why it's necessary and what it does to bring about social change and transformation. And so we're going to finish up today. We hope (laughs) we're going to finish up today and uh, just talk a little bit more about the particular article. Carly, you want to reintroduce them to our article that we've been talking from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we've been working through this article for the past few weeks called Leadership for Social Justice, Practicing Intersectional Feminism by Helena for Disorient.com. And it's an article that's all about intersectional feminist leadership and looking at that through various different lenses and the points that they make, we're just kind of going through point by point and just talking about it. And we're finally at the end of the article talking about <laughs> the last point. Um, so the last point is um, what does intersectional feminist leadership feel like? Um, And it says it seeks to bring about social transformation. Intersectional feminist leadership challenges the imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist, cis heteropatriarchy. It rejects the status quo of the dominant culture and reimagines a world free of oppression and exploitation. So lots to unpack there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sharing uh, earlier uh, with a group on, um, we were talking about, social justice. And, and there was a a guy who was doing a presentation and he was talking about it and he was letting us know that, that social justice, I know we're talking about social transformation, but it's all part of the same thing. He was talking about, said that social justice is the distribution of wealth opportunities, privilege within a society. And he says that the concept of social justice has often been, you know, given to individuals, but it actually is a state thing where the state is the one who is supposed to be responsible you know, from a political perspective for making sure that the distributive justice, he says social justice and distributive justice are the same thing. So I was thinking about this from the social transformation perspective. And if we're going to transform systems, quote unquote, then it has to be bigger than the individual. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's incredibly true. And this article echoes that as well, because Mm -hmm. it does talk about how individuals do need to, you know, decolonize their mind. We had a whole episode about that and, and really focus on their own internal work, but that can't be where it stops. And even if people are able to change, and I think that people are, it takes a lot of work and they have to be willing to have the hard conversations with themselves and do the hard work. But even if they are willing to change, they're individuals. That still is not the system that's changing. And even if we think about, oh, we've got this great, you know, leader in this community, right? And they're doing all of this wonderful work. And that's fantastic. But what happens when that leader passes on? Yeah. Is there a system in place to continue that work? Um, And I think it is so important that we're looking at this from the legal perspective, from lawmaking and policy and things like that, because those are going to be the things that live on. And there's there will be a system in place to protect those things. And again, you know, sometimes you get so absorbed in this. But yesterday I was on a Zoom listening to a webinar regarding allyship and building allyship from a an anti-racism perspective. And they were really talking about that ally is not a noun, that it's a verb. Yes. And so they were that, that was kind of the whole premise. But they were talking about systems and how important it is to 
try to change systems. And one person, uh, we assumed the person was white or part of the dominant group, at least, sent in a message and said, why do we, why are we so about disrupting or changing or dismantling systems? Why can't we just use that same system and bring everybody else along? And I thought, I couldn't really get to it, but I thought that is pure, totally someone who is naive because you would never have equity in a system that already exists where some people have already been a part of the dominant part of it. So you would still be asking permission to do something within a system that largely belonged to somebody else. So I thought, does privilege make you think like that? And does white supremacy make you think like that, that you could actually share a system where you were dominant? Because if that, if that happened, then our whole system would be transformed. If we could really share that, I mean, that's the, the essence of it, but we haven't been able to do that in how many years? I mean, you're a hundred percent right. And I think that shows it is a privileged mindset and it is the mindset of somebody who has not had to live within a system that is oppressive to them. And I think we've talked about this on the show before, but that's why you'll see women participating in patriarchy, women mm-hmm. who have patriarchal values. Um, you know, you'll see that happen because they are within that system. They are operating within that system to the detriment of their own self-interest. Right. And I think it's because, you know, Again, if you've looked throughout history, you understand that like every time that people tried to do something within the system that already exists for the betterment of people, it's tiny micro steps forward or it just changes face. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that is sustainable or that is going to create the change that needs to be created. And, and I can completely understand because that's such a big question that you were probably sitting there on that call. Like, how do we even begin to talk about this? Yeah, it, it was kind of ludicrous. It was like, yeah. I mean, and we were there to talk about allyship mm-hmm. and uh, and and people transformed the conversation very early, you know, from the noun to the verb. And so you caught yourself, even when you tried to speak about it, you caught yourself trying to, you know, trying to take that aha moment and work, work what you were going to say in that aha moment. But you know, my my whole issue regarding that is why create, and I know this sounds Pollyanna, but why create additional systems? Yeah. We've got to we've got to be in the dismantling of them. And when we dismantle them, then we have to seek for social transformation. This is how for me, this is how this all connects. We have to seek for social transformation after we are at the same time, I guess, when we are dismantling these systems or it will never be the same. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's exactly the the point that this article is making too. imagining a world free of oppression and exploitation. If you are imagining that world, that world is going to have very, it's not going to be very similar to the world we're living in right now. I think people get caught up sometimes in the internal work, which is so important. And it goes back to what you were saying about allyship, right? But ally is a verb. You have to practice allyship, just like you have to practice anti-racism. You can't say, oh, I'm an anti-racist. No, Mm -hmm. you have to practice that. It is something you are always doing and always learning more about and investing in. And it is it is a practice. And so, you know, that internal work is important 100 percent. But that's where a lot of people stop. And then it's that systemic work that is so, that is even more important. And just the name itself, you know, like social transformation says that I'm in relationship with somebody, something in making this happen. It's not like it's individual transformation, which I am transforming as an individual, but this is social. So it is all of our 
the way that we interact with each other, our interpersonal relationships, you know, all of those kinds of things are are critical. When we talk about things like social transformation and 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 the the article that, that we read, you know, talked about challenging the imperialistic white supremacist capitalist cis hetero patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we've done that and we need to continue to do it. But you know, I guess an example of that would be, you know, how we do things like uh, I mean, what what are some social transformations, but we started them, but we haven't finished them. You know, like the whole abolition thing is a social was a social transformation, but we're not finished. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of this is definitely work in progress, right? I mean, because we we see the effects of it, of the imperialist white supremacist culture everywhere you look and in every system. And it's just everywhere. And I think you had mentioned either last episode or a couple episodes ago about poking holes, uh, poking <laughs> holes in these systems. And yeah. that that's where you have to start because the system itself has been around for so long. It's very established. And even when people in their minds or even in their hearts want to challenge it or or think, yeah, this is wrong, they don't even know where to begin or they're still practicing within these systems, Right. So like you said, the poking holes, just continuing to poke holes in it is is really powerful work. Yeah, because sometimes when we look at, you know, social transformation and we we try to see the social change that we want and we participate in it, whether we participate in it as an individual or, you know, just uh, I belong to a group called Conversations on Race. Just starting a conversation is transformative because Mm -hmm. some things we've not talked about or we don't want to talk about. And so. But one of the biggest things about transformation, I think, that prevents it, social transformation that prevents it, is things like social movements. People are afraid of social movements. It it makes them nervous. It makes them pull out their guns. It makes them shoot people prematurely. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of like the whole process of of addressing these issues is scary to people who have resided in dominant spaces for so long. And, you know, when you think about it, most people spend, I would say, 90% of their time in white spaces. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I think, too, you know, when we start talking about the movement of, especially within the LGBT community, right, about, Mm -hmm. like, you know, being more accepting, um, just on on the basic level, right, ground level, being more accepting. That was kind of what was fought for first, was just, you don't have to understand, but you just have to, like, be human, towards me. Um, And I think that was a, you know, that was kind of the goal of the movement at first, but even that has been pushed back against so much. And, you know, people will use the whole, where did all of these people come from? Right. Yeah. (laughs) It used to be all of these people and these trans people, but now they're everywhere. And it's, it's because we have to look at it from a system perspective. And there was a really great podcast I was listening to where they talked about when teachers stopped forcing people to use their right hands and allowed them Mm -hmm. to be left-handed, right? All of a sudden, there were all these left-handed people. It's Mm -hmm. not like they weren't there before. It's just that the system had now opened up to allow them to exist in the, you know, in the natural way that they exist. Same thing with anything else. You know, there've always been trans people. There's always been gay people, but now this, you know, the system is starting to allow them to exist in, you know, the way that, that is, you know, true to them. However, there's still all of this pushback and this, you know, and I just really 
struggle with that because the system is so pervasive that even when it opens up just a little bit mm-hmm. and, you know, for the bare minimum of acceptance, which is just the bare minimum, it's still, there's so much pushback and we see it in the, you know, in the legal realm, right? With all of these laws and everything. And it's the bare minimum of acceptance has caused all of this, you know, backlash. And I just well, don't understand it. Well, I think I, I read this article where it talked about one of the main tenets of social transformation is restructuring. And so restructuring any system, you know, uh, dismantling, tearing it down, poking holes in solidarity, however we go about addressing it is pretty much frightening because one of the things that that it that it does is that it, it says that the status quo is no longer going to be. And most people are afraid when their status quo starts to shift or to change. You yeah. know, it's like shaky ground. It's not like I've not been here before. This has not happened to me. And so this whole social transformation perspective, you know, the aspects that are part of the the uh, restructuring, I think is what is so afraid. And it's like you said, if you restructure our minds to say it was always this way, you know, you just had systems that prevented people from being who they be, mm-hmm. you know, because it was so oppressive mm-hmm. to try and do that. And so now if you make this shift that allows people to be who they be, then, you know, I, I think that's 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 one of the things that that the people who don't, and, and it's the people that we mentioned, the white supremacist, patriarch, cisgender, all those words that we used at the beginning, don't want those systems to change. Yeah. I mean, most of us don't like change. Let's just let's just go there. Who do you know that says, oh, this is a change, <laughs> I welcome it. <laughs> Change can be scary. <laughs> yeah, it can be very, very frightening. And as a result of that, I mean, you know, people just really don't like it because it. I think it 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 generates fear, and so uh, our our instinct when that fear comes is to, you know, what do we talk about? Fight or flight? Yeah, fight, you flight, know? or freeze. Or freeze. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're exactly right. And I think that's why we are seeing all of this pushback. It's the fight part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do understand the the change being scary perspective, mm-hmm. but it's still to me, it just feels like going back to the other point of the decolonizing your mind of like, yeah, maybe the first time you hear something new, it'll be like, oh gosh, what's that? But then that's where you just take a step back and educate yourself. <laughs> right, right. Well, that was one of the things in that article I read a long time ago. It, it was talking about, you know, have the conversation and it talked about looking at trends and it said, in essence, educate yourself, you know, yeah. no, find out something about it. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, this whole resistance to uh, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, yeah. you know, in places and spaces like Florida, mm-hmm. you know, where the president is saying that uh, he's really just speaking fear that he might have to share some of his toys you know, and, uh, and, and, and just resisting that. I mean, it's scary to think that we could live in a world where everybody would be included and, you know, and that's the same way. So the pushback on the diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, the pushback on the LGBTQ plus, you know, anybody that, that has not been seen as part of the dominant group for this political system, uh, has turned into, uh, I'm so afraid, that I've got to fight and I've got to fight everything that looks like that. Anything that looks like it's a a structural change or um, an invitation to other people to get more knowledge to consider is immediately shut down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it just shows that 
the system is pervasive and it's in everything, but it's also got a fragileness to it because if you are so worried about kids in schools reading books that you've put them on a banned list, that's showing that the system is not as strong as maybe they think it is. Because if you're so afraid that a kid reading a book is going to challenge, you know, the worldview and the system that's been established, then, you know, maybe that's worth thinking about. (laughs) And and I guess, Carly, that reminds me of, you know, this whole thing about what is power in social transformation, Mm, you know, because that's that when you just said that, that's what I started thinking about, you know, that people will try to use their power to prevent or to keep something from happening, because really, what are you worried about? Right. And there used to be, this was probably, it's been several years ago now that this was a big talking point, but there used to be a lot of discussion around the quote, marketplace of ideas, right? Which was this Mm -hmm. idea, it was a capitalist idea that, you know, just like in capitalism, which this is not a true statement, but this is what they said, (laughs) just like in (laughs) capitalism where there's competition and that breeds innovation and then the best rise to the top, which is not true, but that's okay. That's how ideas should be. We should let everyone say anything that they want to say. And the best ideas will be the ones that rise to the top, Mm. which is a flawed premise, right? Uh, On many, many fronts. And um, this was something that was being said quite often. However, if that is the mindset that a lot of people who uphold the system of capitalism believe to be true, then why would you be banning books? Right. Because that's the exact opposite thing that you are saying that you want to do. And it just goes to show you that it like that whole mindset is only implemented when they feel it serves the system. It serves, you know, that imperialist white supremacist capitalist system because it's not true. And the moment that these ideas are introduced, the moment the system starts to crumble. Which which means why we have to, I think sometimes why we have to have revolutions. <laughs> I know that's a scary word to some people, but, you know, when you're talking about above and below or beneath or whatever kind of, of way you want to describe how power systems are, I think that's why, you know, you just have people say, we're not going to take it anymore. Yeah. We're not going to take this anymore. And I think, you know, America in particular is savvy enough to say we're not going to take that anymore. I mean, because even to the people that want to keep power, some of the ideology that is being used, like the banning of books or the discrediting of diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, uh, all of those kinds of things, you know, the to want to not have full inclusion for all people is specifically the LGBTQ plus community. People are saying, what is the problem? So it's starting to look like it's a few people now who are trying to wield this unnecessary power. And I, and I think that's where, where we're finally getting to in this whole social transformation and this whole shift is that, you know, people are starting to say, wait a minute, what is so wrong with people being people? Right. And, when people are creating these laws that are anti-trans laws, anti-LGBT laws, they have to scare people with fake stories and nonsense to get people on board because if they don't, people are, would not be on board, right? So they've got to come up with all this fear mongering to get people on board, to get people to be like, oh, well, maybe this is something we should be worried about, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe we can do a session one time just to talk about power because- mm-hmm. 
I mean, power is big. It's political ideology, you know, social ideology. It's all of these kinds of things. But, you know, when you see money and other things that, I mean, just some things that give people a platform, it blows me away that we could see wrong and make it right because somebody who is perceived as more powerful, has more money, especially in our capital situation with the social strata, we will turn a blind eye to that and let them get away with it. I mean, some of these things are just inhumane that we are trying to say, you know, that's politics, but it's just yeah. inhumane treatment of other individuals. The whole period of enslavement, mm -hmm. there is no way, even from a capitalist perspective with supply and demand and all of those things that we talk about, there is no way that we could say that the period of enslavement was anything other than inhumane. I mean, yeah. It doesn't matter how much clothes you needed, how much cotton you had to have, what, how much land you had. I mean, the treatment of another human being, another individual, and the whole process to make that happen. And I, I know I'm a little off, but I, I think about this from the perspective of individual social transformation, how very difficult it is. We almost need to look at those systems and 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 change the systems now it takes individuals uh, maybe a composite of individuals to try and change the system but it's so necessary when you were talking earlier you said you know one person well we saw that martin luther king jr was the face of the civil rights movement but he died but it didn't change it because he really mm -hmm. wasn't the civil rights movement there were mm -hmm. so many other contributors to that movement that it was able to go on and to effectuate some other change. And so sometimes you you need someone, an individual in the social transformation perspective to bring it to someone's attention that something needs to be done, but it doesn't need to be an individual. And, and I think sometimes in social transformation, we try to uh, say there's gonna be an individual or a few individuals or some individuals that will be transformative. I think we all have to be open and amenable to the transformation. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I think that's a great example of what we were talking about earlier with Martin Luther King, you know, being the face, but not being the movement itself. Yeah. I mean, this is such a big topic. I feel, you know, especially this, this last paragraph, you know, talking about challenging, you know, even imperialism itself, oh, yeah. such a big thing. But when you start to poke holes in it, right? Mm -hmm. Look back through history, start reading different kinds of history books, you know, talking about ones that are specifically focused on the LGBT community throughout history or, you know, women throughout history or whatever, you know, you're able to challenge those. Well, it's always been like this. Well, no, it hasn't. <laughs> you know, you're able to challenge those systems, right? And and I think, and we talk about this all the time about whose responsibility it is, you know, in these systems. But I think the more we start to own the fact that the oppressed, it is not their single responsibility to try to change these systems that have been oppressing them forever. And, and I think, you know, we, we can't put that responsibility on the oppressed people, persons, situation, whatever, to try to fix it. Yes. And and the people that, that have not been oppressed or the oppressor, let's just call it what it is, they have more of the means, the money, the wherewithal, all of those things to to try and eradicate or change those systems. And so trying to have the oppressed person do it is is impossible. 100 percent. Yeah. And I, I love that you brought that up because, you know, that goes in so many different directions. 
you cannot rely on oppressed communities to educate you. You cannot rely on them to be the only ones holding energy for social transformation and social justice. That's ridiculous, right? It, it, it feels like having, you know, asking people to prove their own humanity and to fight against yeah. an inhumane system and inhumane people and just prove that they're human beings who deserve basic human rights. And that's never been okay. Um, that's not something that should ever happen. And that's why that allyship piece is so important but people have to understand how to use their allyship and how to actually practice allyship and use their own privilege for good. Yeah. Yesterday I was listening to, uh, well, I was part of that webinar and and I was listening to this woman. I can't remember her name. I've seen her on several things before, but one thing she said was powerful that she does. She was a white queer woman. And she said, whenever she's asked to speak, even if it's an all white audience, she imagines <laughs> that there are five black women <laughs> or black people, but she said women or people sitting in the audience. And that's what allows her to say what she says so that she can never not say the right yeah. thing because they're there. Even when they're not there, they're there, you know? And I thought that was pretty powerful for, for someone who's part of a power system in some ways, just the fact that she gets invited to speak places and people want to hear what she has to say, that she has the for, the fortitude from an ally perspective to, to say, here are my friends, here are my people. I'm speaking to and about and with my people and not just saying, well, you know, because sometimes I think white people only want to talk about allyship with other white people. And, and I, that was my, my whole thing in that, in that webinar was, you know, we need some Brown and black people to talk about it because you're, you're, you're not including the very person that you're trying to be an ally with. You're, you're already saying from, from a, you know, hegemonic perspective that you know how to do best what we need and you don't, you know, so yeah. yeah. 100%. And I think that that's such so important because when you are uh, white or, you know, straight presenting or cis presenting or whatever, you know, people are going to say things around you and think that you're on board. And yeah. that's where you have to, that's where you really have to step up and practice that allyship, right? No, I'm not on board with this. This is wrong, right? That's number one. But number two, exactly what you said. I mean, you have to listen to the group that you say you're allying for. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you have to listen to them. What What do they need from you? Because their needs are going to be different than maybe you think they are. Ask them what they need and do that thing. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. And do it often. And one of the other things that came out of that yesterday, and, and I know this is connected to the social transformation. One of the other things that came out is that go ahead, go into it, assuming that you're going to get some flack or you're going to get challenged. Mm -hmm. Know that you're going to rub somebody the wrong way and yeah. go ahead and prepare for that challenge yeah. because it's coming. Assume that. That's part of being an ally, quote unquote, or doing allyship is um, that you already know that there's going to be some flack. You anticipate it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. 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 It was, it was a, uh, I want to, want to be a part of that group again. It was a great, uh, a great webinar. And uh, I think it really put allyship in, in a different perspective for most of us, you know, the speakers as well as the, there's about 150 people on there. And so people are just trying to get, get it right yeah. so that we can dismantle these systems and know as much as we possibly can about it. So social transformation, I think in and of itself if we could take the pressure off of one individual and look at it and say, this is a collective effort made of many individuals with many gifts, many talents, many whatever, you know, to make it happen. I think we'd be in a much better place. 
I agree a hundred percent. And I think that's a great place to leave our episode for today. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Cause when you, when you read those words about all the white supremacy, patriarchal, <laughs> this gender, I'm thinking it's bigger than me. <laughs> yeah. Bigger, bigger than, than all of us. Yeah. Bigger than all of us. We, we need help. We, we need, yeah. we need a movement. We yeah. need a social movement to make this happen. Well, I think we had a great conversation today and hopefully we'll be able to continue this conversation going forward, definitely touching on that power piece because that's so important. So hopefully we'll be able to do that in the next couple of weeks, but we are always looking to hear from you all as the audience, what you would like us to talk about. So if you have any ideas, please send them in to us and we will be here with you again next week. Take care. Pass on the victory, we shall walk.